So we've been doing a series on resurrection. Been talking about resurrection from the beginning. Of course, starting out with death, because death is where you have to start before you have resurrection. Um, and resurrection is coming back to life. For those of you who are not familiar with the term, um, we went through in the first death, which was, of course, Cain and Abel. Uh, Cain killed Abel. And then we talked about some of the resurrections that begin to show up, only just a few in the Old Testament. We see Elijah bring to life a young uh, child, and then we see Elisha bring to life another child, and then, of course, they throw a dead body in his tomb. It rolls down, touches his bones, and comes back to life. So he has two. We talked about double the spirit with that. Um, then last week, we talked about the ruler of the synagogue. He has a young uh, child also, and Jesus comes in the house, and they, of course, laugh him to scorn because he says she's just sleeping, where Jesus understands something much deeper. When Jesus approaches things, he understands beyond this world. Our limits of our understanding are just in what we touch and feel and see and what God says in his word. Those are where we have to understand what goes on beyond that. So we are going to look at the next resurrection in line um, coming from the widow of Nain. So first of all, I want to talk about my family for a little bit. It's always dangerous, but uh, yeah. my family comes from a small farm in Norway. My father's father was born there, and it's a small place called Coxness. So nestled in between a high mountain and an ocean inlet is a tiny strip of land. There's a small house there, and... Uh, I'll say a medium-sized barn for an older barn. Been there for many, many years, generations and generations. And the house and the barn look like they had, did for hundreds of years. I mean, they just are taken care of, but that's it. And the reason that that's it is there's only so much land there. When we went to visit this little family farm, you went out and looked, and there's probably two acres of tillable ground. And that's using up every single square inch between the rocks on the ocean side and the rocks going up the mountains. And they dig it out and, and they plow and plant every little thing. Their fields are not square, they're not straight, but they fill in every little spot of dirt because they have to use it. <clears throat> Back in the 1920s, my great-grandparents lived there. And with two acres of tillable land... It was subsistence farming. They could just get enough to herd some sheep up on the mountainside, eat what grass they could. I guess they had one horse and some pigs, which they raised just to eat for the meat, and they used every little square inch of the pig. Um, they had some chickens, and that's about what they could do. And that's a pretty mean living at times, especially when you have a very, very small amount of land, when your crops aren't even enough to support the animals that you have. And that's where they 
grew and as they started to grow as a family, um, eventually my great-grandparents would have seven children. And with the seven children, my great-grandmother's sister also passed away and left her five. Okay? So all of a sudden, you have a lot of family to take care of off of one little tiny spot, one little tiny bit of land. And so they came to, uh, my great-grandfather came to America and just came back to visit once a year, leaving his family behind, going back to America to make up enough money to bring them over. Meanwhile, they uh, have had several children, one more each year, as they come back, and uh, they had a young man named Torolf Udmund, okay? My grandfather's name was Udmund Torleif, but this young man was his older brother, and he was around seven years old, and of course, as any busy mother does, you find ways to cope with all your children and do all the things you have to do. But remember, when she has all these young kids, she's carrying water from a hand-dipped well up a pathway. She's cooking all of her food. I think she made around 30 loaves of bread a week, this great big bin by hand, all on a wood, open wood-fired stove. Um, You're not talking any conveniences, nothing there. So it is work from sunup till sundown. And she was alone, essentially, to do it. What happened was she had to shoo the kids out of the house and said, don't come back (laughs) for a long time. Go out and play. Take care of each other and go out and play. Now, how she did it was to try to keep them safe. She knew that the ocean was just feet away from the house. And so she told them, there are sea monsters in the water. Don't go near the water. But young Torolf went on a day with some of the crashing waves, came up along the rocky coast, and it created foam. So it tells you how uh, much they crashed against it. It was creating foam on there, and he was reaching down to grab the foam, and down he went and drowned in the ocean. So there is that only two photographs of young Torolf now, my, my grandfather was born after him, and they say that his name, she named him almost the exactly same, and then they, she ended up switching his names because it was just too hard to call him that. Um, but there's two photographs of my grandfather's older brother, one when he was probably about five or six that I've seen, uh, just a young boy dressed in clothes, little knickers and all that, a uh, little suit coat. And that photograph has a lock of his hair across the top of it uh, because that's what his mother kept. And the only other photograph we have is that of a funeral procession. And that funeral procession has a young seven-year-old boy laid out amidst flowers on an open stretcher type thing. Um, Little blonde-headed boy. And you can see, if you look carefully, uh, the adults around that, there was really just a photograph of, of the body, but there are a few uh, very grief-stricken adults around this body as they processed from their home 
to the burial spot. Um, and it's a time of sadness, beyond sadness, great sorrow for the loss of this young man. Now, we don't have funeral processions so much anymore. Uh, you see cars driving through, and that's they call it a funeral procession. But this is different, and this is something that happened for many, many years. They carried the body on an open stretcher type thing uh, through the town or through and up to the place where they would be buried. And that's exactly what we come and see in our story today is someone on a, in a funeral procession. Now, it's a mother of, again, a young man. We don't know exactly how young he was, but we find as we enter this scene, this woman has had hard living, a tough time, and Jesus walks in on the scene as they are carrying a stretcher of this young boy. And that's what we're going to pick up in Luke chapter number 7. Luke chapter 7, verse number 11. We go to Luke chapter 7, verse number 11, as we join where Jesus comes in and sees this funeral procession. It came to pass that the day after that he went into a city called Nain, many of his disciples went with him and much people. Now when he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow, and much people of the city was with her. So now, only her son has died. That's all the people she has left that we know of, because her husband has already died. So she has lived in hardship, in tragedy. We don't know if this son was old enough to be able to support his mother, but could well have been. And now, likely, she would have to do either get family to help her out um, or end up begging because she had nobody left. All right? Nobody left to make money. So what does Jesus do? Verse number 13. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said unto her, Weep not. She didn't ask for a miracle. She may have seen Jesus. She may have seen him walk through. But oftentimes when Jesus looks at us in that time of desperation, a time when we feel empty or lonely, barren, worn out. There are times in our life where we feel used up, like there's no strength left. What does God do at that point? Just like Jesus says, it looks, he looks on them and says, you will have compassion. This tells us about who Jesus really is with compassion. Compassion is God's nature. It's in God's nature to be compassionate. Now let's turn back and look at that a little bit deeper in Psalm chapter number 86. We're going to start there. Psalm chapter number 86, verse number 15.
Psalm chapter 86, verse number 15. But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and plenteous in mercy and truth. O turn unto me and have mercy on me. Give thy strength unto thy servant and save the son of thy handmaid. Show me a token for good that they which hate me may see it and be ashamed because thou, the Lord, hast hoped in me or helped me and comforted me. So we find that God is a God of compassion, of mercy, of help. All right? He looks on the human race and says they need help. They are in desperate need of help. That's when he looks down at us. He has a different approach than oftentimes humans do amongst each other. If you leave humans to themselves, compassion is not what you get. All right? You get anger and you get boldness to be uh, upset at one another. You get division and you get just downright nastiness a lot of times when humans interact without God. But in God's nature, he looks down and says, I have compassion on you. And when you connect or touch or rub shoulders with a godly person, a person whom God has touched and had influence on, then that's where you begin to see compassion in your life. Let's continue a little bit more in Psalm 111. God sees us in our greatest struggles, and he says, I will have compassion on you. So let's turn to Psalm 111 as we look a little bit more at this. 111, verse number 4, as we find out a little bit more about his compassion. He hath made his wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. So here it is. I've been working on, well, my wife's cleaning out the office. We're doing a few things because the office got piled up so high with stuff. And we decided that we need to go through this. So I was assigned all my stuff to go through. All the things that I have collected over the years, papers that I just had to have and had to keep, and all the things that I really haven't looked at probably in 15 years or 20 years or longer maybe. But I had to have them and I kept them. But you know what? I really enjoyed going through some of those things because they were things as I was looking at them There were all kinds of things that I look back on in my life and said, I'd forgotten that that even happened to me. I'd forgotten all the things that I have been able to do and all the things that God has blessed me with. Oftentimes in our life, we look at a chain of events and all those events are full of blessings from God. Now, when we look back oftentimes without reminders, we remember the low points, we remember the hardest times, 
We remember the times where we felt alone, but oftentimes there are, those are surrounded by things that God has done that were compassionate towards us. He did things to remember us by, and that's what it says in verse number four, his wonderful works to be remembered. Works to be remembered. God does those compassionate things, and they are his works to be remembered. And so as we go and look and see about the nature of God, we will find that resurrection is entwined in who he is. All right? And we'll look at that just a little more, but I have one more verse in Psalm before we turn back to the story. Verse, uh, chapter 112, next chapter, verse number four again. Unto the upright there arises light in the darkness. He is gracious and full of compassion and righteous. All right, so one more little thing. When you are at your darkest point, darkest point, God brings light. By his nature, it says that God is in him, is light and life. And those are very intertwined things used almost interchangeably. Light and life. And that is what God brings as compassion. Life and light. Now we often think of death. And we think of death like my grandfather's young brother. We think of that as a very dark time. But when God looked down on the human race and said, you have brought this death upon yourself, then God says, well, I'm going to come in and bring you, give you an opportunity for light, for life, for freedom. Because in his compassion, he looked down and said, I have to find a way. Of course, God had it all planned out from the very, very beginning. But I have to find a way to bring life and light to this human race. Offer them an opportunity. Offer them something that they've never seen before and that they can't get on their own. And this life and light is exactly what he brings. So sometimes we're in those dark times of life, the dark moments, the trials, the struggles against our own humanity and sin. But it says those who are upright are those who seek the Lord, seek the Lord, will find life. It it almost says, and it actually uses a word, ariseth, okay? It's talking like the sun is rising up. Okay, and that's, that's what it wants you to picture is God is bringing this brighter and brighter spot into your life. You begin in the darkness and you look and you say, I think there's some light on the horizon. Something's coming. And then the colors start to change and show up. And you say, I'm going to trust that it's going to happen. And God has that in him. And he says, I have compassion on these people. 
right? And I bring light and life to them. Those people who know darkness and death, I bring light and life to them. So let's go back to the widow and see what Jesus does on that day. Chapter 7 of Luke again, verse number 13. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said, weep not. And that compassion is, of course, now we know in God's nature, right? Bringing light, bringing life. And he came and he touched the buyer or that stretcher, maybe filled with flowers too. And they that bear him or that held him up stood still. And he said, young man, I say unto thee, arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak. And he delivered him to his mother. And there came a fear. We'll go back to that verse in a minute. Jesus reaches out and says, young man, arise. And we've seen this before. We've seen that Jesus' words, his words are powerful enough to reach through dimensions. You see, what's happened with this young man is he died and then the body was laid out, which has been a tradition in most societies for many, many years and generations. It's really just in our modern generation that we don't necessarily lay the body out in our own homes. But most of the time, when you had loss of someone, it was in your home that they died and you laid them out in their home and you prepared the body. And then once that body was prepared, there came a day of the funeral. And that usually might have been a day or two or three, even sometimes. All right. And they are ready taking that funeral buyer all the way through, marching through. No doubt everybody is at a low, sad point and they're taking that young man to put him into the grave. All right? Pretty final. It's pretty final. At that point, they're in a dark spot. But Jesus looks over and he knows that that young man's spirit is long gone from the body. It is just a shell. The spirit has gone to another dimension. All right? That spirit is in eternity. And so Jesus speaks and his words cross out of this world into another place where we can't get to it without God's help. But Jesus speaks and crosses dimensions and says, it's time, son. Come on back. Which no doubt was disappointing. Right? For the young man, right? If you are there already in a place with God and you have seen freedom, you have seen freedom from this body, and Jesus says, I'm going to come put you back in that body. As you grow older, you find out that body's not so freeing, right? It's a little bit less and less freeing all the time. We take, and Jesus puts him back in there, and he sits up, and he takes him to his mother. Here you go. Now, why is it done? Why bring him back? Well, I think what 
God is doing is painting a picture. In God's word, you see as it progresses through the Bible. Because people need to understand that God can reach beyond the grave. God's power is not limited to this earth and little things in the way we think of it. God thinks multidimensionally. All right? Now, me, I might say I can multitask, and that's a big thing now, right? You want to multitask, and so you put up all these windows on your computer, and you got phones to answer, and things on your desk, and it's just an illusion, folks. Nobody can multitask. Everybody's doing what they're thinking at right then. And then we move on to something else. Our mind can change to different things, all right? But God has this overarching plan, thought, and ability to look beyond the grave. And time doesn't matter. We're all bound to time. We all are stuck in this time. We can't make minutes go faster or slower. They are what they are, and we have to live in them. But God does not. And God is not bound to this dimension. He thinks beyond, and he thinks in the past, eternal past, eternal future. He has no limits on this, and our memories are very small, and we understand only just a little bit. So, but God then reaches on with his words. Jesus looks and says, come on back. I've got more for you to do here. Part of that more is talking to the people around, right? Not only helping his mother, no doubt there was a noble part of that, but much more so telling people about the resurrection power of God. Now, the interesting thing is this. He was put back in his own body. His own body. With all its own aches and pains and whatever else came with it, it wasn't necessarily a renewed body, but we are building up to that point, and we will find as this series continues and we get nearer and nearer the end, we will find that that resurrection changes. We've seen bodies that were raised, and they were the old bodies, and they looked exactly the same, and they acted the same, and all the pains and the joints and all the things were the very same, but that is going to change soon. All right, we're going to see something very different in the future. But the idea is this. They put back the spirit into the old body, and he is able to bring him back to this place. Now, the last little bit to understand here is verse number 16 and 17, and this is why God did it. And there came a fear on all And they glorified God, saying that a prophet is risen up among us, and that God hath visited his people. And this rumor of him went forth throughout all Judea and throughout all the region round about. God is here. That's why this young man came back. Jesus said, come on back. And he sits up, and everybody around says, this isn't a normal guy, right? Jesus is not a normal guy. He's been dead. We were taking him to his grave. It wasn't like last week where, the, where that young person was just dead for a little bit. 
He's been dead long enough. We watched him. We laid him out. We prepared the body. We were bringing him right to that funeral to put him in his grave. He's really dead. And Jesus called him back. So we progress a little more and a little more and a little more. And you see God's power and people begin to talk about it. This is God. He's here. There is a reason why we have it. This young man is a ne the next example of God's power and is to bring others to an understanding of God. His compassion and his power all at once. Now, Jesus is still able to raise people from the dead. And it says in the end times that the last trumpet will sound. And then we are going to see a resurrection like we have never seen before. That's going to be a new and exciting one in which all of us will be able to participate. And God's voice will shout amongst all the regions as all the dead will come up. It will be an incredible time when God brings about this resurrection. But we're building there slowly. Because God shows people that he's got the power to do it. And it's about building faith. Faith starts as a small grain as a mustard seed, but grows into a big tree. Jesus says that. All right? And so it's understanding that God is able, God has power, and God is able to bring us out of the hard things in our life and much more beyond the grave even. Right? He can bring light and life to us. And this is a picture of what we do. When we do our baptism, okay, when we do baptism every year, it is a picture of resurrection. You go down into the old life, the old life dies, you are submerged and gone, and you come up as a new creature. Now, the actual act of baptism doesn't do that to you. But it is an example and it's a, an outward uh, show of what has happened inside. God gives you life to your spirit when he comes inside of you. It says he is a life quickening spirit. He brings you back to life in your spirit to begin with. Those things that were dead inside of you... He opens up and he awakens to help you begin to understand things that you never could understand before. And that's where the resurrection begins. He is a life-quickening spirit. So he brings life back into your spirit to begin with. And it will be followed by a resurrection in the end. But God begins in the spirit. And that's where the resurrection begins. So it's understanding that he looked down on us he had mercy on us. He had compassion on us and said, those people are dead. Their spirits are dead. I'm going to go down there and anyone who will accept me will accept life and light in their, in their life. I will raise them inside. They will begin to change. They will see what it is to have the spirit pouring through them. And then we will follow it up by an amazing power in the end when you believe, we will see this incredible, amazing power. I'll bring you through death, and I'm going to bring you to a new resurrection in the end 
It's for all eternity, all right? We're getting there, one step at a time. It's exciting, and I like to talk about that because that's the exciting end of where we're getting. But one step at a time, God is showing his power over resurrection and life. Thank you very much. Have a good day.